There is a classic uh, YouTube video of how somebody reacts to interruptions. It is a BBC World News interview, televised, and there is this foreign policy expert speaking to the camera, and he is in his home office. Well, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the YouTube video is only a minute long, but after less than 20 seconds, into the interview, the door behind him slams, you know, just goes wide open and in walks a little two-year-old girl sucking on something and coming right up to her daddy. Then about 10 seconds after that, in comes in a, his 10-month-old son and he's in one of these circular walkers, you know, you, you all probably have used that for your children, and he comes toddling in following his sister. And they both stand right behind their daddy, looking up at the camera, smiling. <laughs> then on her knees comes mommy. <laughs> she crawls in, grabs two kids in her arms, and as best as she can, crawls back out. Then about five seconds after that, she crawls back in again, puts her hand on the doorknob, and closes it behind her. Meanwhile, nothing has gone on in the interview. We do not know what North Korea is planning. We do not know how that affects the whole Asian, uh, uh, the, the whole, you might say, Asian foreign policy. We don't know anything except here is a dad who is so embarrassed, who looks so much like a doofus. And let's face it, you know, most international experts are either mothers or fathers themselves too. And they have children that they want to raise in a peaceful world. Friends, in the last week, I have caused interruptions of other people. I had to call somebody, and it turned out to be right at dinner time and give some terrible news. Uh, another time, I was expecting to have a night at home all by myself, and someone interrupted me with a Skype. Well, it wasn't a bad thing, but it wasn't my plan. And you know, several times a day, I'm talking to Barb and I lose my train of thought and she interrupts me and finishes the sentence. <laughs> Things like that happen. And we understand that uh, interruptions are just a part of life. Uh, 26 years ago, my whole life trajectory changed. I'm sorry, not 26 years ago, but at the age of 26, that the whole future of my life changed when someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, excuse me, would you have a moment to chat? And out of that chat came moving to another continent. Some interruptions, let's face it, are a waste of time. We would also say that some interruptions end up redirecting the future of our lives. We are not in charge with the interruptions that come to us. But friends, we are in charge with our responses. We are the ones who make a decision of how will we respond when these interruptions come. My response to an interruption will reveal much about my character. Your responses will reveal about your character. And as we are studying the Gospel of Mark, and we're, take, we're taking ourselves into the, in, into the deepest reaches of the character 
of this one called Jesus of Nazareth that we call the Son of God. We see him interrupted time and time again. Now, I have a problem with this, and maybe you do too. If he is the Son of God and he knows everything, he knew that interruption was coming, right? I mean, that's called omniscience. And yet, uh, uh, so in a way, I have an excuse. See, my character doesn't anticipate something like that. Therefore, I can be cranky and rude. Jesus was not. And so we are looking at this response that Jesus has. It seems to humanly catch him off guard. But we also see what he does, how he thinks, what's going on inside of his heart. And that is why what they saw then and what we see now about this Jesus of Nazareth, we conclude as Mark concludes in verse 1, chapter 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So your expectations this morning of what it means to be the Son of God. Uh, you know, maybe Jesus disappoints you. Maybe you were thinking of something far more extraordinary. Maybe you find Jesus somewhat underwhelming. But when I look at Jesus... He tells me consistently in a human form what God the Father is like. And therefore, when we see Jesus interrupted and we see his answers to questions that people have, we understand that he is unlocking the, his true nature to us. And so questions that we have wanted to ask but are too embarrassed to ask out loud, we find as we just read the gospel. And we've walked with Jesus through three of his five greatest miracles. They occur in just about four chapters together. And as we've watched three of the five, we realize there is a reason to call him the son of God. He raises a dead daughter. We also realize in these four chapters how people respond to him. King Herod fears him because he feels that he's John the baptizer, come back to haunt him. John the baptizer himself doubts that Jesus is the one that all Israel is expecting. And Jesus' own hometown leaders are skeptical about him. I mean, his brothers and sisters and mothers are still right here with us. But his disciples, time and time again, they are amazed at what Jesus does and what he says and now how he responds to interruptions. You see, it wasn't the plan. The plan was different. His disciples have just returned from their first mission trip. They've gone out in teams of two, so six teams, to the different villages of Galilee to teach. And, and to teach what Jesus teaches and to do what Jesus does as he has done it with them. And friends, it works spectacularly. It works stupendously. They return and they come back to Jesus and they want to report all that has happened. You know, what they said and what they did. It was just like Jesus. Now, if you've never been on a mission trip, you need to know every mission trip always needs a reunion. You need to get together, even if it was a disastrous mission trip, because you get together and, and you reminisce of the things that God did. You laugh at some of the funny moments. And you think about the people uh, that you have influenced. As they come back, and this is time for their reunion, it is a great moment. Good things have happened. 
But the disciples are surrounded by the people that they were helping. They continue to follow them around. So this good news is also hectic. The people that they have tried to help will not leave them alone. It's like Peter is asked to have an interview on the Today Show. Uh, someone wants to set up a tour of the six teams for all of Israel, especially those teams, uh, those areas they haven't reached. Someone is asked to, you know, maybe Andrew, to, could you repeat this miracle to my neighbor? What you did for me, could you please do again? Maybe somebody is saying, remember you taught that and I, quite, I, didn't, I didn't quite remember what you said. Could you say it one more time? Or someone has come for prayer. Friends, this is heady stuff. It is ego boosting. And notice that the attention is not upon Jesus, but it's on the 12. And they are so busy, it says they cannot eat. I'm in Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and, and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love the fact that Jesus knows we need rest. Well, that's the intention. The, you know, what the plan is, is there'd be a, a season of restoration and relating what, uh, how they saw God working. So Jesus puts them in the boat. They start to sail, and they want to go to one of these less populated areas of the, of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily a long ways away, but it's far enough, and there's no settlements around so they can be alone. Now that's the plan. And as you know, interruptions change plans. So as the disciples sail around, uh, the needy crowd notices. And, note, and in verse 33, it says this, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Friends, I've read this at least 50 times. I've never read the them before. Jesus is along for the ride. That's not good. That's not good. <laughs> but it appears that the 12 at this time have become so popular that Jesus is the one attending to them and to their needs. So uh, the 12 have returned from the mission, but the mission is not over. And the crowd that is seeking the, the attention of the 12 and the help of the 12 walk around the lake while the disciples sail across that same lake. And the crowd arrives first. I don't know how that happens, but it certainly is a matter of determination. And it's also an interruption. And it says in verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, they were there waiting. And my guess is some were there as, a, you know, as the first party, and the slow pokes kept coming and coming and coming until they had all gathered. And they were picking up more as they went through each village. Jesus, the 12, they're going to be over there. Let's go. So the plan is to, a time away to celebrate, to debrief, to rest. That's sort of what you do on vacations. And the success that the 12 
have had in their mission trip is both ego boosting but draining on their energy. And so Jesus responds as he sees this interruption and he looks at them and he realizes it's growing as he looks at the shore. He sees that more and more people are coming. Well, before you look at Jesus' response, how would you respond? I know how I've responded. Not that I've ever had 5,000 that, you know, have showed up. But I know how I've responded. Ay, ay, ay. What am I going to do? Oh, no. That ruins my whole day. Uh, how come your needs are more important than my needs? I mean, it goes on and on in terms of how I respond to such things. Now, this is what it says about Jesus. Verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Compassion shows itself in many ways. I'm... I'm... As I think of this, I, I don't think I would have ever shown compassion this way. I always think of compassion of, you know, kissing my, my, my little child's toe when he gets an owie. That's compassion. I think of compassion of reaching into my wallet and buying someone food when they tell me they're hungry. I, I think of compassion that way. This is Jesus' compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. How does Jesus show compassion? For this throng, for this mob, he shows compassion by teaching them. He's not healing. He's not casting out demons as he's done. He, he's, he's not taking a survey to find out why they came or a focus group. He just sits them down and begins to teach them. Friends, an authentic relationship with the almighty God always passes through the mind. Always. You're just not sitting on a park bench going, duh. An authentic relationship with the almighty God who has made you and who loves you, it comes not naturally, but it comes through a re-education of the mind. And our minds are fallen. They need help. So we think of all the, the physical things that are needed Jesus instead is teaching them of what it means to have a relationship with God. And really what he is doing, what, what he's doing in, this, in these few hours is what he's done with the 12 for the last year. So for 5,000 people, for several hours, he sits them down and he teaches them. It's probably a lecture. I doubt if in a crowd of 5,000 people can raise their hands. Let me ask. How is your mind expanding in, in terms of your relationship with God at this season of your life? What are you setting aside so that you can say, I, I want to know more about God? Now, I, I don't have to give you a systematic theology handbook, you know, of about 800 pages. But you could dry it. I, I use it, but this, I, I don't know if you want to. But how, are, how is your knowledge of God Growing. What is the input that is renewing your mind so you're not thinking just humanly, but you're thinking divinely? I understand, you know, when many of you hear this word of, you know, altering your mind, you say, uh oh, I got to read the Bible. 
or I've got to go to a Bible study. A Bible study means homework and memorization and I got to look up references and I got to do research and I got to study all these materials. I just don't have time for that. How is Jesus expanding your mind through his teaching? Can I tell you something I've been doing? Maybe you want to do this too. Lately, I've been going to gracecovenantchurch.org, Arlington, Texas. And I've listened to a few messages of our coming pastor, uh, Jason Freeman, and he's pretty good. Now, let's not do a comparison of who's best, because he won't win. <laughs> but he's really good. And I like what I hear from him. And you're going to like him, too. Why not catch up? He's going through Galatians right now. It's really good. I've never taught Galatians here. It's really good. Just a thought. So he's teaching them, first of all. But that, when that is over, then the issue comes up about their stomachs. They have sat for all day, and nobody had planned on a caterer. So their stomachs also need help. They need to be fed not just in their mind through teaching, but through their stomachs. There's an incident that occurs because this crowd that he has continued to teach for hours, now he, he changes the focus from the crowd to the 12. And to the 12, he's going to give a new lesson. But the new lesson is going to be taught, you might say, from experiential teaching, not from intellectual teaching, not from speaking, but more from doing. And here's how it happens. Here's how Jesus teaches the inner circle. And I want to say there's a moral to this story if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I, I begin at uh, verse 35. It says, By this time it was late in the day. So the disciples came to him. And they said, This is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat on their way home. We want them to go to a convenience bakery on their way home, get some bread, get some, you know, and just get the food that's around in the villages and, and, and let them go home. Jesus, tell them, time's up, go home. And um, that's unfortunately not what Jesus decides to do. So he answered, uh, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Oh, we didn't bring anything either. Give them something to eat. Where are we going to get it? And they, they have the facts down. This would cost 200 days wages to feed this group. Just the bare minimum. Uh, we don't have that on hand. We don't have the cash we don't have the caterer. We don't, have, we don't even know any supplier that could come in at this moment and do that. So, uh, Jesus, what you are saying is impossible. Uh, and then he asks a second question. Well, he, he gives a, a second thought. He goes, uh, how many loaves, in verse 38, he asked, go and see. So they go out, and when they found out, they came back and they said, well, we have five loaves. Now, the five loaves they're talking about would probably be smaller than a Kaiser bun, okay? Uh, more than that. And they said, we have two fishes 
or two fish, and that's all that they have. Now, one of the scholars I was reading about this said probably what happened was a teenage boy showed up, and before he got in the throng that was following Jesus to go to this meeting that was going to occur, his Jewish mother came out and said, Johnny, Johnny, don't forget your lunch. And that probably could have happened because what showed up was food for one and meager food at that. So when Jesus says, check the inventory, that's all that was there. The this inventory is sufficient for one. And Jesus tells his, you know, okay, he says, that's sufficient for one. Next step, organize the crowd. Put them in groups of 50 and 100. So the, so the disciples do the organizing. You've done that. Okay, this group over here, get in a circle there. And so they organize. Then he says, bring me the lunch for one. So Jesus takes the lunch for one and he gives thanks. Now, the common, just like we would pray the Lord's Prayer, or maybe you've uh, recited and learned and memorized a, a prayer before a meal, the common prayer the Jews would pray, would pray before a meal was, and as Jesus took the bread and probably broke it, he says, praise to you, Lord God, our King of the world, who makes bread come forth from the earth. And then he starts giving it out, giving it to the disciples for them to distribute. Now, they had to distribute the food, come back, get more, distribute it again and again and again. As far as we know, the 12 were the only ones passing out the food. Have you done the math? Have you ever thought of doing the math? This is a multiplication and division. I can do that, okay? If you do the math conservatively, each disciple makes 30 to 60 trips up and down that hillside to deliver the food. That's conservative. If you're realistic, and we're all realists, aren't we? That is probably 60 to 120 trips if you were carrying enough food for 10 people in your arms. Remember, five loaves, two fish. Yeah, okay. You're not just getting the math, but you're getting the miracle. And if you are liberal and you speak liberal, you know, glowingly, they probably made, because we know that was the report is 5,000 men and does not count the women and the children, they probably made close to 200 trips back and forth to feed this mob. For two years, I was a waiter. Being a waiter was one of the highly motivational jobs I've had that told me, get your degree, <laughs> or you will be doing this the rest of your life. I wasn't made to be a waiter. I was made to talk to waiters. That's what my daughter says, at least. Okay. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with being a waiter, but you know these men were, were just coming back from being uh, celebrities. They were famous in the area. And now Jesus says, wait on tables. And he's not done yet. Because it says in verses 40 to 42, it just goes a little bit further. Oops, lost my place. Okay. Verse 40, 
So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks. Then he gave them to his disciples and sat before him. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. However it happens, they were all full. Or at least saying, I'm not hungry anymore. And so when that uh, event is over, what is next? There is a lesson here. Now, there's actually two lessons. First lesson to those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ. I just want you to know, following Jesus is hard work. He will ask you to serve and not to sit. Following Jesus will involve work. That's the first lesson. But the second one should change our minds as to who God is because it was just taught to us by Christ Jesus. The second one is probably the harder to learn than working hard. The second one is this. We have a God who provides for us when all else seems impossible. We have a God whose very name is Provider. It's Yahweh Yireh, Yireh, Yahweh Yireh. And time after time, as you read through the scripture, you understand that God loves that name. He loves being called the Provider. He provides a sacrifice for Abraham when this, when this title first comes out. More than that, he provides an east, a strong east wind, so that in the next morning the Red Sea has parted and the Jews can cross on dry land. And he provides the end of that wind so the, so the Egyptians cannot follow. Uh, God provides, as his, you know, as his name says, bread and meat for the Jews as they camp in the wilderness for 40 years. And God provides in a miraculous manner for the crowd that interrupts Jesus' plan to get away from that crowd. But that is not all that God provides. There's a day later, day after the feeding. Jesus, uh, he escapes after the feeding. Uh, we'll explain why in just a little bit. And, and then, um, and, and then uh, he comes back and he's on the other side of the lake, back where you know, he had first escaped from the day before. And on that other side, uh, people are coming, you know, they've all walked back and they're gathering around him again. And he looks at them a day later and he says, why did you come out to the wilderness? Was it to see a great miracle, what you did? And it's then when he declares, I want you to hear this. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. I am the bread of life. There is something about every human being that says this, I need food for my soul. I need something that goes beyond just the physical and just the material. I fail to believe that I'm on this planet just to try and stay alive. He says, I am the bread of heaven. Like the manna in the wilderness, God sends the bread of heaven to his creation. And our inner beings are crying out consistently for something deeper, a deeper spiritual life, a life in connection with God. And the one who was able to feed us physically, starting with just very little, is the one who is also able to deliver and feed us in the deepest parts of our being.
And friends, it's not about earning a living or earning your food. But because Jesus had compassion on the 12, it's about finding the love that God sends in his son, Jesus Christ. It's also a training experience. After he had taken those loaves and distributed them, and they made those trips back and forth and back and forth. Did you know that something else had to happen? When it was all over, he looked at his disciples and said, now go clean up. They weren't just waiters. I mean, waiters is bad enough. How many of you have waited tables? Where did you start before you waited tables? Bussing tables, right? You had to clean up. After. Dishwasher, I did that too, okay. Dishwashing, bussing tables. Before you get the tips, you get the junk. And so, you, you know, you, you go when a table is empty and there's, you know, a couple that wants to come in and get that table. You're in a hurry. You get out of there. And, and that is the next thing that they did. They had to clean up. And so in their training that's going on, you know, they have to be picking up and they each fill a basket. And I'm, you know, they're not stupid. They can do the math. Hey, wait a minute. We have more leftovers than what we started with. More than 12 times the leftovers than what we started with. What just happened? It is confusing. And so they are being trained that God cares for every part of their being. And it's not just about returning from a powerful mission trip and relating to Jesus all the marvelous work that has occurred through you. It's, all, it's also about serving and cleaning up. And they have to understand it's all God's work. Nothing is too menial. But what counts is that Jesus is leading. And so through this, Jesus is revealing more and more of himself. As they pick up those baskets, they have to say, what a God we have. What an amazing God we are following. You know, we're, we've eaten our fill from the leftovers. At least 5,000 people ate. And we know what it started from. They did not, but we do. And God looks at a self-interested, self-seeking, interrupting rabble, which they were. And he looks at them and he throws his compassion upon them. He looks at this view, at, at this group, as a crowd who need God on so many levels of their lives. When this event was over, the Gospel of John reports that Jesus knew they wanted to make him their king. And they were going to, you know, throw him on their shoulders, make him the hero, take him all the way to Jerusalem. And uh, that's not the kingdom that Jesus was supposed to have. They wanted someone who would take the place of Herod and Pilate and Caesar. Jesus wanted a kingdom that takes the place of themselves. So, knowing that it's going to be a different type of kingdom and he's not that type of king... Jesus desires that everyone there, and especially the 12, know that God's name is Yahweh Yireh, God our provider. Some scholars have proposed that, that perhaps that teenager who brought a lunch, the, the only one who was thinking of food to, to get there, 
that, that, that person was uh, John Mark himself, the author of the gospel. Others uh, have said that this was related by, by Peter, who was also there. Uh, we can only guess. But if you can imagine that it was John Mark, and now he's writing his gospel, does this John Mark have a story to tell? of the most amazing thing he's ever seen in his life. More than that, not only did God feed their stomachs, but God fed their souls through the teaching. Is your God Jehovah Jireh? Is your God Yahweh Yireh, God our provider? Friends, I, I want you to know that often I know God is providing because it comes at key moments of interruption. He gives in. Uh, he steps in and he gives direction where I'm confused. God steps in and he provides wisdom and living examples from Christians that I call my friends. Uh, God has brought gifts for our needs time and time again at just the right time. I wish it was earlier, but it hasn't been. And now get this. The Bible says in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, God provides his son Jesus to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to make us righteous before God. Many times, God will step in and it'll be an interruption. That's because our focus is on the daily things, the human things and the material things and the interruption that is coming is a God thing. And it will change you for the rest of this life and for eternity. Let's pray to Yahweh Yireh. Father, your son left us with a prayer. And part of that prayer was give us this day our daily bread. He also said, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right there, Father, the common needs of our body and the deeper needs of our souls. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being attached to you, the one who provides divinely what we run around trying to provide humanly. Thank you for the divine opportunities that your son shows us in this gospel. We want to remember that you are a mighty God and a compassionate God. We remember that, uh, you know, multiplying Five loaves and two fish is nothing if you created the world out of nothing. It was pretty easy. We ask that we would continue to be aware that you are filling our lives with what I call divine opportunities. They will be seen as interruptions, but we know that they will be for our good but also for your honor. Lord, may our interruptions, everyone, bring honor to you. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Let's stand.